Hey gang, it's Harold. I'm podcasting to you from the bunker. In the interest of distracting myself and my gaming friends, I'm reaching out to some interesting people to ask them what they're doing game-wise. With such a big time dividend, I want to hear what they're playing, designing, or thinking about. No CNN, no CNBC, just games. My production obsession will have to be put on hold as I'm most interested in communicating with you rapidly and with some interesting content. This podcast documents a discussion I had with James Pye. Yes, it's more close to pie than pay. And most people pronounce pay, which, I, you know, I'm tired of correcting people after so many years. I say, that's fine. <laughs> James is one of the greatest card-driven game players in WBC history. He's won 19 out of the last 21 For the People tournaments. And now the interview with James, which is already in progress. 1999 was the year that uh, he uh, featured as a tournament at uh, AvalonCon slash WBC. So you've won... You've won 19, and there there must have is there, have there been 20 or 21 tournaments? Uh, 21. I did not win two of them. <laughs> were, were you present? <laughs> yes, yes. It, it's a, a long story, but the, the gist of it, it was uh, in one of them, I was not qualified to advance, even though I, I won all my games. So that's another story. But in a, on the second one, uh, it was a fantastic story. Um, it was documented well on counseling world and on different blocks with other people. But basically, this uh, Finnish gamer, I don't know if you heard of him, Riku. Yes. He, he is a master in so many games. Anyway, he, uh, he came all the way from Finland, hitchhiked his way through most of the way. <laughs> that's, that's a funny story. And came to WBC and won for the people against me. And knocked out my teammate, Stefan McKay, who is a, another great, fantastic uh, card-driven gamer in part, Path of Glory. Two very difficult games to master, and he came and knocked us out. And won both. Knocked both of us out. And, of course, by his doing, he knocked our uh, fourth uh, repeat in the team tournament, too. So, so that was an incredible feat by this, uh, we call him the Finnish Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> does he uh, does he still come to WBC? or? Is... Uh, no, I haven't seen him in a number of years, even though uh, somebody told me he, uh, he, he made an appearance a couple of years ago, but he didn't play in For the People or Path of Glory. I think uh, he was concentrating in uh, Twilight Struggle, Yes. And a bunch of other new Euro games because they are short, shorter, and he can fit in more since he traveled all the way from Finland, and he's very not uh, financially uh, well off in a sense. Right. So he tried to make the most of his time here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but, I've seen him. He, uh, I've seen him on maybe War Game Room online before. He's. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. There you go. Thank you. That's right. Uh, some people told me that he is a regular at working room. Right. For right. quite a while. Because he, he actually told me, he said, Oh, James, uh, in Finland, you know, uh, I, I coop up in the, in the ice for nine months of the year. I have nothing to do. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 
That's excellent. So he 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 used to play a lot of uh, uh, games online. Yes, yes. Well, it's it, but it's not just about playing enough games. You really have to have a. I don't know what is it. What is it that you have to have to become the master of a game? Like that? <laughs> uh, that that's a, a good question. I think I think a number of people have asked me about that. Um, and uh, off the top of my head, I usually tell them, "Oh, you have to study the map and so on and so forth." But since you already told me uh, that you're going to ask me this question, I kind of jot down a number of key points. Oh, excellent. It's, yeah, uh, so I think that would be a good way for us to ramble on about in this in this, in this interview. Absolutely, so, please. Um, so I didn't go down by list. Since I'm a trans engineer, I like to make lists. <laughs> That's good. Um, yeah, so number one, of course, you have to know the, the game, the rules, the cards, and map. I mean, if you play against friends, sure, you can just take a cursory look at the the game and the rule and then just play on no for fun that's great and i do that a lot but to be to go on to the next level to be very competitive in tournaments and so forth you really have to know the rule uh, a, a good story i like to tell uh, uh in the early days there, there was this guy david doctor i don't know if you heard of him yeah i know uh, david he I... is a, yeah he's a great gamer um cheerleader at WBC. Great podcast. There you go. That's right. It's gone, <laughs> past, gone past. And, and, and he has become good friends. In the early days, he uh, he doesn't read any rules. He's, he's go by, you know, what people told him and he keep on playing. And, and he likes to follow people so much that he enter every tournament, every single time. In the beginning, he would gotten crushed easily. But after a few years, he climbed and climbed and climbed. And boom, he was in the finals. And there was one final, uh, I can't remember what though. Uh, I think it's in a WAN, which is a winter activation meeting. It's a small tournament sponsored by a BPA uh, just for culturing games. Mm-hmm. And he and I met in the final of all the people. And then he, during one turn, he had this great card and he was, he trapped me. And he, he, he bursts out very happy. He says, I finally got James. I got him trapped and cut out supply. <laughs> and and, and he, I mean, he literally screamed out loud in, in the room. <laughs> and uh, Now, were you Confederate or, or Union? Oh, uh, yeah. I was the Confederate. He was a Union. Um, but then I, I, I said, hey, Doc. And that's his nickname, Doc. Uh, you forgot about the Shenandoah Valley rule. <laughs> He said, what is that? I said, you know, the Shenandoah Valley rule, a rule, whatever, whatever. He says that uh, a Confederate army can draw supply and attrition from the valley. So my army of Northern Virginia is naturally cut off. He looked at me, it was a bang stare. And he said, you know, curse, curse something. And, I, and I, of course, I flip over my last car, and because my army is in supply, I went around, took DC, blah, blah, blah. And oh, that's great. <laughs> you can hear him screaming and howling. <laughs> but that shows you, you have to know the specific rule. Every rule, yes. Yeah. And 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 this come back and bite me in the 
because oh sorry for my language I don't that's okay no, no no problem no problem all right great uh, in another game uh, in wilderness war this was in early days and I wasn't too uh, well tuned to the rules of wilderness war and they they played this uh, Anna's miraculous scenario tournament scenario and, and in the tournament scenario even if you're down on VP but if if the British can take two of the four original uh, forts and fortresses from the Brit from the French, they can win, even though they could be like minus 10 VP down. And I didn't know that because I did not read that tournament rule. So I thought I was winning, but my point said, no, James, you're, you're, lo you're losing because I already had two. You had to take it back. I said, what? Mm, I checked the rules. Oh my God, how did I? Not notice. <laughs> of course, I went on to, to lose that game. <laughs> so, yeah, so to, so back to the original point. You have to know the game and the rule to be proficient because when you reach that top level, it's a, it's a very fine balance between winning and losing. It's a game of, like, inches, you know? Right. So to speak. Certainly yeah. against certainly against the best competition. That's true for you, I bet. Correct. Yes, and and you won't believe some of the best gamers I met at, at these tournaments. They are fantastic people, but they know the rules so well because many of them are lawyers, attorneys. <laughs> <laughs> They're good with words. Amazing. Yes. Um, the second point that I wrote down here is, is to study the map. Uh, it's just a big open map, like uh, for the people. You want to know where the critical locations are, the, the junctions, the defensive features, the supply centers, where they can cut you out your line line of communications. Kind of like the, the the few commanders in the old days. Then they surveying the battlefield to see, oh, where are the good defensive terrains where, where I can place my forces, so forth. So that's where you want to see because every map every game have those critical locations that you say oh i'm i better have somebody here doing those turns when the enemy can or my opponents can can counter attack and and that's where i tell people study the map, see the, study the features in the people where the confederate can cross over to raid the northern states those are the critical locations And uh, another point is in, in card-driven games, yet there are certain uh, powerful combination of cards. You have to know how to use them. When they do show up, if you have the forces prepared to use them. And because it's a card-driven game, most of the time I tell people, do what the cards tell you. Don't force your own strategy down the throat just because you want to do that. If the cards that is not a, 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 it's not if you do not draw the right cards, do not force your hand. Be patient. Wait for a, a better hand of card to do the things you want. Right. Thinking about Twilight Struggle, which is the card-driven game I'm closest mm -hmm. to, there. There's some cards that make some things absolutely futile. Correct. For example, I you know I've played a hundred times, a thousand times, who knows? But wow, but very rare. But very rarely have I ever seen someone 
the Soviets take Japan, for example, right? There's mm-hmm. a card that basically destroys that strategy. And so, and it's happened once, right? I think it, in, in all the time that I've played it. But, uh, Correct. But you need to know the cards to know that's the case, right? Yes, uh-huh, exactly. I mean, you, you, when, 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 the, when the nuclear war balance at, at, at number two, you want to be sure that you don't play the card that costs you to lose the game too. Yeah. So, so in for the people in Hannibal, in Empire Sun, there are those killer combos you have to be aware of. A lot of people ask me, oh, in For the People, there's 130 cards. Do you memorize everything? I said, no. Even after several hundred repeated play, I don't know every single card, but I remember the, the, the important ones, those concentration cards, those campaigns, those discarders. Th- those are ones you should be aware of, and they, they are easy to track. Um Another point that I uh, I think that why I'm very good at um, CDG is is I like to think several moves ahead, kind of like in chess. You, you try to anticipate what your opponent want, will do, or more, more likely to to do based on what his positions and what he has done. So I I'm, I try to anticipate, and by being able to anticipate, I can become more efficient. So instead of several moves to bring my forces up from the Carolinas into northern Virginia areas, I already set up such such a way that it only takes me one or two car play to do the things I want to do, while others could be, you know, three, four cards, whatever, to accomplish the same thing. So if you if you can anticipate several moves ahead, it gives you a huge edge too. Um, I, I have said this uh, earlier, be patient, because patience is a virtue. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Too many times I, I, I see players, because they, they, they draw a campaign card, or, or they all of a sudden mass a powerful force, they, they're dying to launch a big attack. But then, just like most offensive, it can run out of steam, and you have no backup. You want to be patient in that you set up all your pieces. You want to set up all the logistics so that when and if you do draw a powerful hand, you can be sure that you have plenty of push in your objective. Um, Remember that uh, famous uh, California winery uh, ad, I will make no wine before it's time. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) My, my motto is, I will not attack before I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> With or without wine, that's going to be true. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, and, and, and a lot of people have, have pointed this out to me, say, James, wow, he's just so patient. He would just sit there and wait until he gets everything prepared and, and, and then launch. So, so in a way, I'm kind of like a, a few more... Montgomery. Montgomery is famous for like he will not attack before he has like three to one in armor, four to one in infantry, five to one in artillery. All this modify it in his favor before he will launch an attack. Yeah, I, I won't go that extreme, but I want to make sure that I, I have my force just ready. That I have some reserves so that if I need to, I can have a second push. 
Well, you know, I bet I bet part of that is is understanding what the story is in the game, right? Every game doesn't, you know, it, it provides balances that change over the term of the game. So it would yes. seem that it's important as a player, if you really want to be that dominant, to really understand the storyline. Yes, and, and understand. And, 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 yeah, exactly. And and that's go back to my first point. Know the game. Know the rules of cards, the map. If you understand all the key pieces, then then you can prepare and be patient, and then wait for the right moment to pounce. Another point uh, to set out your four forces in every game. There there are some housekeeping things you you have to do because every games that we play, especially war game. The, the the setup is such that you have a few forces and you try to build up forces or bring in reinforcements or dig in or prepare fortification and so forth. So there are some housekeeping things you ha- you want to do to make sure that your defense is intact or your forces are set up to go on the offensive. So that when you do get a good hand, you can take advantage of. Yeah. And this all forward scene part of knowing the game, be patient and to set up your forces before launching attacks. Um, another point that I want to make is uh, people have said that I, I like to bluff and faint. And, and this is a key feature that I do agree with. I like to apply the Sun Tzu's all of war, you know, faint left and then strike right. <laughs> I like to create several little fires, you know, in front of you. Say, hey, Harold, look, I'm doing something here. I'm doing something here. I'm doing something here. What are you going to do about them? So I look at you. I want to see how you're going to put out those little fires. And by by you playing playing a car or moving your force to, to confront those fires, it gives me information. It tells me, oh, he wants to, to nullify this front. Oh, he has those kind of cars. He has those kind of forces. Then then I shift my focus to other area where you are less focused or less resourced. Then then I concentrate my force in that area. Do you and, remember and try to strike you? Go do, ahead. Do you remember the do you remember the good players play style when you play them the second or third, fourth time? Yes. Many times. In fact, David Doctor. I have played him four or five times in the finals, no less. Um, he, his style is aggressive, uh, brute force, so I'm, I'm used to that. Um, Bill Pettis, another great player uh, who I met in the finals several times too. He is more patient. He likes to, to prepare and set up, kind of like me, uh, sit back and relax. Against him, I, I have to be a little more aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> um, Michael Mitchell, another uh, old grognar uh, who played so many fantastic games back to the early Avalon Hill games. Um, he is patient and aggressive at the same time. Um, but he... Uh, a lot of times he will be so focused in one front, he wouldn't try. To, he would neglect another front, <laughs> and that's why I try to take advantage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Huh? When you play these players, the, the first time, of course, you know 
it your your little coolers try to fill each other out. But after a while, you can't get a feel. Oh, this is what they like to do. This is what their strengths are, and I will prepare accordingly. You know, I'm a I've got a background in commodity trading, and and one of the great commodity、wow. traders of the world once told me that you don't trade the markets, you trade the traders. That's right. And, kind of、uh, like playing poker. <laughs> yes, yes, right. You, you, you don't, don't play the card; you look play the players. You play look the at players. them. <laughs> yes, absolutely. How funny. Yeah, that, that's a very good point.、Uh, another point、uh, I want to. Tell people is to be to be flexible. If one path is not working, switch, divert.、Um, a, a good story that I tell people is is a lot of times. Yes, you can mass a a big powerful force and strike, but if the enemy is meeting you head on to head on, you 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 two just gonna have a bloody attrition. So try to. Divert attention away. Do something different. And in in one game, my opponent did that to me. He he saw where I mass my army. He anticipated where I want to strike. So he defend in depth. That means if I I knock down his first line, he has a second line waiting. So I couldn't get traction too much. So. I decide to play the political game, and that's and that's the beauty of、uh, a CDG. They combine military, political, and economic engines into one beautiful design. So when my military option is not working, I switch to the, to, to to the politics. I start playing PC markers, converting Missouri, converting. Uh, West Virginia. I play Brazil recognized Confederacy to gain five SW. I play this card to gain three SW. <laughs> it drove my opponent wild because he he had this huge army. If I don't attack them, they're gonna take massive attrition too. <laughs> <laughs> so after two turns, you know what he did? He disciplined those big armies into small small size cores so that he doesn't have to take so much attrition. And by doing that, I nullify. He's defending dead because now he's down to smaller size, which I can, you know, chew off and bite off one by one. <laughs> <laughs> um, to me, a CDG is about、uh, control chaos, and and like we mentioned before, it contains the bluffing elements in poker. So the more chaos. Which means the more fires, the more、uh, unpredictable outcomes there is, the more happier I am, and that's why I will, I I excel in this type of game because I'm for some reason I'm very good at、uh, controlling chaos. M- many people have、uh, told me that oh they prefer a map you know where you have mountains on one side. Uh, rivers on another side, so that they have the good defensive feature, so that they have just one or two front to to build up the forces. Me, I like wide open spaces, <laughs> open flanks. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'll duke it out with you. <laughs> <laughs> and and finally, and and this is a point that I think、uh, not too many people realize this. And, and this is a point that、uh, 
Markerman has said many times, how to manage your downside risk. When you play any game at the top level, you, you know you are good at certain things and you know you will have you know a big army, a big force or a fantastic card that you can attack with. But knowing when to do that and how much to go all out is a fine line. Many times I could have attacked early, I could have launched uh, furious attacks, but I but I, I will hold back because I know if I do that, I basically unleash everything and by happening it fails. The downside risk is so great that if it fails, my opponent can easily sweep behind me, cut me off, take my capital, etc. etc. I said, that's not worthwhile. Let me wait until I have a better hand. I can cover my downside risk. I, if I have I can bring up another corp to cover my open flank. So the decision process is to constantly make your opponent guessing what your opponents think that you may or may not have, have and then manage your downside risk. To me, that's the what, what, what separates me from many of my top peers is I always try to manage my downside risk. Well enough, I guess. Huh. That's interesting, and it's not—it's not intuitive in war games, right? You have, you know, for most of the time when you play a war game, you have little at stake except for perhaps bragging rights. Correct. So you really don't think much uh, about the cost of losing or the cost of being wrong when you make an <laughs> attack. But uh, but but when uh, you're playing tournament, you you need to think that way, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know. When you reach this top level, we are all very competitive in, in a sense. And I, I see many of the same faces every year at WBC in the money rounds, you know, in the in uh, quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals, because they appreciate and understand the game that we play. And so... It's almost like it's more than bragging rights. It's like, okay, this year, can I just get over the hump and get it? <laughs> James, how many people play for the people? Uh, at WBC, the average has been in the mid-20s. Uh, a few years ago uh, at the Lancaster host, when WBC was a hanger, we we reach in the the thirties, but because WBC has expanded and there's so many tournaments now, so every game has been diluted to a sense because people it's like you know you, you go to a, a candy store it's like, oh my god there's so many things to do you want to sample this you want to sample that but there's only so many hours in a day, <laughs> so yeah you have to pick and choose so. So in the past couple of years, um, I so many regulars, they, I see them at WBC, but they, they're not playing. Because they say, oh, James, I got to try out that new game. That, uh, I, I'm, I'm trying out this uh, another game that in open gaming. Or the, oh, this year, I want to switch to playing uh, Path of Glory. I want to switch to playing Twilight Struggle. You know, because 
the, the, the times of, often overlap each other between so many of the games. We, we try to space out the CDGs, but, but then you will be conflict with, you know, uh, Bitter Woods, Russian Campaign, uh, Combat Commanders, and so forth. So this other game plus a bunch of Euros. And so there's always some give and take every single year. Yeah. Uh, I'm just happy that there are still 20 plus diehards every year to want to play. Yes, and 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 a lot of really good players as well, right? Oh yeah, um, I could name off so many people. And when I do name names, I'm not name dropping or anything. I'm just proud to be their friends. And over the course of this 20 plus years, they have they have really become uh, good friends, uh, brother in arms, even you know. David Doctor, Bill Pettis, Michael Mitchell, uh, and the last two years, Randy Bueller. Now his story is even even more amazing. He is a great Euro gamer. He plays Euro games like crazy. And from what people told me, he used to be like a, one of the top rated Magic the Card gamer on the professional tour, whatever thing. And he 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 told me. And he wrote this on his blog too. He said, I'm tired of hearing James Pike winning for the people year after year and, and kicking me out of the Caesar War, which is like the top award for at WBC if you win so many points or whatever. He said, if nobody gonna take on James in for the people, I will. So two years ago, I'm not joking. He marched straight to GMT at, at a, a store at, at WBC bought a copy of For the People, took the game back and started playing by himself first and then tried to recruit up his uh, Euro friends to play. And, he, and get this, he even got his daughter, 13-year-old uh, Kyra, I hope I didn't make a mistake of her name, to play because she said, oh, daddy, what's that? He said, oh, this is an American Civil War game, blah, blah, blah. Will you be interested? He said, yeah, I'm starting that in school. So... Father and daughter start playing, and when they have questions, they will refer to rules. And, and I think uh, every once in a while, uh, he will send a question to me. I, I, I gladly help out anybody who has questions. And then two years ago, he marched straight to for the people tournament, signed up to play. I'm like, oh, Randy, first time, and, and I, I haven't seen your name before. I, I didn't know him even though he has won several uh, Euro championships already, but I didn't know he in, in the wargaming crowd. He said, yeah, I, I just started uh, playing this uh, last year. Uh, I want to see if my strategy uh, and my uh, learning uh, can uh, take off here too, because I'm not sure if, if I got some of the rule right or wrong. I said, oh, this is the best place to learn. You will have, you'll meet many friendly gamers wanting to, to uh, teach you. And believe it or not, he won one round after round after round, <laughs> <laughs> and went all the way to the final. Wow. He said, "I can't believe this." My, he said, "I, I just want to win a couple of games to, on my first year. I can't believe I, I'm in the final already. This is beyond my wildest imagination." And he, and, and he said, "Well, I, I, I hope my, I guess my, my luck, my, all my stars aligned. Maybe I can win this <laughs> and knock me out." I said, "You could try." <laughs> That's great. And yeah, it, it, it was great. And what was great, last year he came back, he repeated the same process. He went all the way to the final again. 
This is Eurogamer, Harold. Right. Eurogamer. Right. Amazing. So, so I, yeah, I, I like to point this out because I, I'm telling people, see, a Eurogamer can pick this out and play. <laughs> so, so full of people, it's not that hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, clearly a very good Eurogamer. Yes, yes. He, he, he's at the top form. I mean, so he's Eurogamer. I'm, I'm, I'm just getting into a lot of Eurogame myself. I'm like, oh, my God, there's so many choices, so many options. <laughs> Well, is uh, James? What's the format? Is it a Swiss format? Uh, it's single elimination from the start. Yes. Uh, however, I I changed it to a mulligan round. Uh, last year or the year before, I can't remember. Anyway, because a bunch of people clamping me. Oh, James, I came all the way from blah blah blah. In one round, knocked out. I want to play more. <laughs> I said, I said, yeah, okay. Yeah, a, a bunch of other games uh, have started using Mulligan round two. Breakout Normandy, uh, I think like Russian Campaign and Juana. So I said, yeah, that's not a bad idea. That way it gives people a second chance. If they got knocked out or they didn't draw the right card, have bad luck that first game, hey, the Mulligan round, you can come back fresh and play in the first round. So I did that. So that I, I, so people are guaranteed to play two rounds. And even if you lose both, I still say if you still want to play, I'll match you out with another player. If they are available, you can continue playing. You you will not win any more uh, 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 plaques, you know, the first to fourth plaques, but you will get lower points for that. So, yeah. So, you know, I try to encourage people to play and people jump in and jump out the tournament too. So... Because I understand, because, you know, we're in one big candy store. <laughs> People want to do so many different things. <laughs> yes. Now, how long does it take to expert players to play for the people? That's a very good question. Because if you ask 10 people, they will give you 10 different answers. <laughs> uh, for the people, if you want to play the from 1861 to 1865, it's about 14 turns, one, two, three, four, yeah. It's about 14 or 13 turns. It can take at least seven to 10 hours if you want to play the full turn, okay, four, four games. And if you two are equally matched, yeah, you can go the distance. And a number of games at WPC has gone that. It was hell on the schedule. Because like the, the yeah, uh, one year, I I I basically slept on the hallway, and th this was this was back in the Han Valley days. I remember clearly because I was waiting for the quarterfinal to finish, and after they finish, I was waiting for the semifinal finish before they played the final, because I I I was able to knock out my my opponents quick, but the others side of the bracket, they took six to eight hours each. So I was time to kill. And at the time, you know, I was living in Texas, so I had flights to catch. I was like, please hurry up so I can catch my flight the next day. <laughs> uh, anyway, anyway, I digress. Uh, typically, the tournaments set up at WBC, I allocate six hours per round. If, if they don't finish in the first two two rounds I had to adjudicate because I want to move the game along because we already have two days 
set aside for this. I don't want to drag into the third or fourth day, like like the old Han Valley days where people, you know, anyway, it was hell on schedule. <laughs> so anyway, so anyway uh, the first two rounds, I allocate about six hours and I adjudicate, I would tell them at five hours and five hours, 30 minutes, you guys need to finish or else I don't adjudicate according to board position. After the, the third and fourth rounds, I let them play out because, you know, they, they will start the game at about 7, 8 o'clock on Thursday night. I said, you guys can play all the way past midnight. I don't care. As long as you, one of you, the winner, tell me the, the result <laughs> the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and I've, a few times, they have played until 3, 4 in the morning. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, uh, you you can uh, ask David Doctor when you get a chance. Ask him about his ten-hour uh, marathons in several times. Incredible. Wow. I had no idea. I had assumed that you'd yeah. play this scenario. Uh, we tried that. The scenario just it's it works in a way, but it's it's it doesn't work in some ways. It's kind of like you know. When you drink those beer, you know, less feeling, half full, half empty type of deal. <laughs> we yes. tried that for a, a few years. Most people just, you know, say, yeah, it works okay, but but uh, there's something left on the table. So one year, I think Hank uh, became a genius. He said, he said, Chuck this. Every game will be campaign. First, a few people most. Oh, my God, it don't take long. But hey. It feels right. <laughs> <laughs> you, you you get the full effect. You get the full history of for the people. You get the full introduction, build up, bring reinforcement, creating those armies, do the anaconda strategies. Yeah, it feels good. And after that, the rest is history. Even when Herman took over, he said, campaign all the way. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I was going to ask you about that. Mark Herman, the designer, is with you much of the time. What's what's that like playing his game around him? Oh, it was fantastic because as you as you have interviewed him, Mark always has great stories. We'll be playing something. He's oh, we're asking him. He's like, and somebody will say, this doesn't feel right. He said, what? And he'll tell you, this is how we do it. And you say the background story, how, how he would go to the, Library of Congress and dig out all this old uh, <laughs> manuscripts, you know, say, yeah, there you go, to prove that I designed it right. And he would tell story about, about you know, this Admiral guy that he, that, you know, he, uh, he, he came with in Pentagon and how he applied the strategy and how so forth. This is great. I mean, he's uh, like a wealth of information. He's an amazing a speaker, amazing storyteller, and he has so many different insights into a lot of different uh, subjects. Yes, he's a he's a national treasure. Yes, um, in the early days of for the people tournament, when he was the, the GM, he always made sure that he placed he would match against me in the first first or two rounds, not because he. He uh, thinks he can beat me, but he wants to pick my brain. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, yeah. He will say, oh, James, that's an interesting move. Why did you do that? <laughs> yes. He basically forced me to tell him. And, and, you know, him being my boss, too, at the time, I'm I obliged to tell him 
allow my, I won't say my secrets, but allow my uh, 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 intuition, my instincts that I don't want to do divulge to other people. But, you know, he would ask in such a nice way, you know, as I feel obliged to tell him. But the great but thing, about, they, the great thing about Mark is that he wasn't, he wasn't trying to become more competitive. He was no. trying to understand his game, right? I mean, he, exactly. And how you were he said, interpreting. Oh, that's, yeah, he, he would say, oh, that's very interesting viewpoint. Very few people grasp that. He would say every time I, I, I told him something that's different from what he things or what most people would do. And he also likes to uh, make notes of, oh, mm, maybe that's a design feature that I, I can twinkle with, that I can uh, change or revise. Uh, back to that early point about the Shenandoah Valley rule, that was in the second edition rule or before that, I can't remember now. Anyway. I think David Doctor lobbied very hard after that game to Mark Herman so that Mark Herman changed that so that the Valley can no longer fully supply an army. It can it can it can negate the attrition but not supply it anymore. How <laughs> about that? <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> yeah, and David wasn't gonna get beat with that rule again, was he? I, no, he was not. <laughs> so, uh, that was so funny because at the time it was so funny because he yelled out, "Yes, I finally got James! I got him off!" He thought he was going to win. Then when I pulled that out, he said, "Who reads that?" And then across the room, Stuart Tucker, the Avalon Hill uh, general editor, yes, was playing Hannibal. He looked up, said, "Hey, I know that rule." <laughs> Even he said, "Even I know. I don't even play for the people." <laughs> oh, that's so good. Yeah, that was that was fun. Yeah, I cracked that every time that's I thought good. about that. Well, James, this is probably a good place for us to cut it for now. I sure. What, what a treat uh, hearing your stories. I uh, hope we can do this again sometime. I'd love to. Oh, no problem. Love to hear more I about your experiences. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and you know, I just want to wish you and your family. Uh, Good health and good times through this trying period, and and oh. uh, hope we get to meet again. Likewise, uh, yeah, I hope uh, I get to meet you uh, at WBC one one day when and if <laughs> they do open again, uh, you'll be great. Yeah, I'd love to love to come up and 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 play a little bit of play an hour for the people with you, perhaps. Excellent. <laughs>